Welcome to the Death Dialogues Project podcast. The Death Dialogues Project is a grassroots movement with an aim of getting conversations of death, dying, and the aftermath out of the closet and into the light. On this podcast, you'll hear stories of tragedy and triumph and breaking down and rebuilding lives, and we also frequently hear glimpses into the great beyond. We are so glad you're joining us on our journey. So sit back, relax, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Thanks for joining us today. I am so very excited to bring this conversation to you. I have always been drawn into the experiences, near-death experiences, um, afterlife type of conversations. And for one, it's because I've had some personal experiences myself. But as a mother of several children and answering all sorts of questions, I have always felt that people's stories of the near-death experiences have really informed us about the great mystery. And it's helped me to put my children at peace many times. And so I'm so pleased to have Trisha with her eloquence to sit here and just have a casual chat about her profound near-death experience that she had. And you can read more about it in her beautiful book. And we will have all of those links. She has a podcast as well. So Trisha has um, had a profound near-death experience during her senior year of college and it guided her to teach overseas in public schools and at the college level. Her story has been shared in many outlets. The name of her memoir, which has recently been released, is Angels and the OR, What Dying Taught Me About Healing, Survival, and Transformation. You're going to love this conversation. I am so excited to bring it to you. Kick back, relax, And for those of you suffering really, really traumatically and still having your hearts so torn apart as they always will be, but really, really feeling um, just that deep, deep, deep loss, I do hope you listen to this. And uh, this one is really, really for you. And I hope you get a shred of comfort from it during these difficult times. Thanks for being here. Hello, Trisha. I am so excited to talk to you today. Thank you for coming onto the show. I am excited to talk with you too, and I can't help thinking about you in New Zealand. It's uh, (laughs) quite a big change from the idea of Texas. (laughs) It certainly is. I've I've lived in the great Texas before, and um, yes, I I will promise you it's a huge contrast. Although (laughs) I was never around Austin, which I heard is the most beautiful part of Texas. So it is the oasis in Texas, quite a lovely place with lots of good live music. Yes, yes, that's awesome. Oh, so Trisha, I am so glad I found you. Um, I think I first found you on Instagram and started deep diving into your story of your near death experience. And I'm and it was uh, before your book came out. And I'm so thrilled for you about your book, Angels in the o- OR. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to put the whole story out there and just connect with really kind-hearted, empathetic readers. I've been so blessed to come in contact with so many empaths who just really connect with the journey. Nice. Nice. So 
Um, I'm wondering for our listeners, if do you mind just sharing a bit as much as you feel comfortable about your experience and what's that meant, what it's meant for you throughout your life? Yeah, well, I love talking on shows like yours because I think one of the most profound and beautiful parts of having a near-death experience is comforting people about the dying process. So before my near-death experience, I was agnostic and scared to death of death. I would even have panic attacks. I I would drive my car and then think, someday I'm not going to be here. Oh my God, this body's just going to go away and I might not exist at all. And I would think those thoughts even though I grew up in a religious home, I just didn't connect with uh, that religion. And the idea of just not going on petrified me. And Mm. it just didn't seem like there was enough time here, but I was committed to that idea. You know, like I just was a materialist and in college and uh, did not have any interest in meditation or spirituality. In fact, if I would have met myself now today, Back then, I would have thought, oh, that lady is so wacky. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. but, um, but what happened is I was on my way to run the Austin 10K, this race. And it was my senior year of college, and I had a head-on collision and broke my back in three places. I couldn't even reach my glove box, and I couldn't get any of, uh, any of the material, the registration and, and license. And I knew I was in bad shape. And I didn't have health insurance. I waited a long while for a surgeon. And, and you know, people around the world want to um, condemn America. And then other people want to stand up for America based on health insurance. And, and my, my point is, hey, all kind of situations happen. Yes, I was treated. I was taken to a hospital. It wasn't like I was just left on the road to die. But... I overheard a neurosurgeon say he was not going to operate on me because I didn't have health insurance. And there's all kind of medical malpractice suits and this happens, you know, this is not uncommon. And I was lucky enough later to find a surgeon and she was just off duty and walking through who did want to operate on me and decided that she would, but she'd been on duty for a long time. So I waited with internal injuries and a back injury for a long while, over 17 hours in the ER before surgery. When I went into surgery, though, I, the first thing that I realized, and it must have been somewhere in the middle of the surgery, because my body, I saw my body, I lifted up out of my body and my back was opened up and my hip was opened up because they were taking bone from the hip. And I was so excited. I mean, my first thought was, I was wrong all those times I was sitting in the car and I was scared to death that I would just cease to be. I knew in those first moments outside of my body that consciousness survives the physical. Mm. I mean, that was without a doubt the first thing that I knew for certainty. And I almost got really excited, like, woo, all right. <laughs> you know, like, can't wait to, uh, I want to go back into that body just so I can tell my agnostic friends, like, hey, you're wrong. Like, I knew this wasn't a dream. Here I was looking at my surgeons, working on my body, aware that I still thought in somewhat of the same way, but I was also learning things very quickly in that environment. And I knew that, that my consciousness was connected to other consciousness. And that's why I call the book Angels in the OR, because I looked up and I saw these massive, amazing, intelligent beings. And I was almost embarrassed that these intelligent beings loved and were there just for me. Mm. And I thought, wow, 
they care so much about my life and they're willing to send energy and give me wisdom and be here with me in this moment. And they sent this healing light into my spirit body, which you communicate telepathy, like through telepathy mm-hmm, there, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I heard a comedian the other day, like, and it was kind of wrong, but he was like, imagine if Jesus spoke with a hick accent, (laughs) and I was like, but no one speaks with an accent over there. (laughs) You know, it's telepathy. You just like connect with one another. Can I ask you a quick question backing up? Yeah. So when you, when you rise up and you're seeing yourself, is there a cognition there that you think your body is dead or do you just think you're having an out of body experience? You know, at that point, I was just having an out-of-body okay. experience at okay. that point. Yeah. And then a few moments later, after the angels said, watch this, they sent this healing light through the back of the surgeons. And I knew that I would walk and that the bone fragments would be picked out of my spine. Mm-hmm. At some point during that, my heart stopped. And then I realized, oh, this isn't just an out-of-body experience, me like observing my surgery. Uh, this is my body's dead. And I had the reaction that many near-death experiencers have of, oh, Oh, well, that's done. Mm, <laughs> like, mm. it, it wasn't, it wasn't like overly dramatic. I just thought, Ooh, okay, it's dead. I don't want to look at it. If they try to revive me, I'm going to leave the hospital room and wow. see what else is out there. Wow. And so I saw my stepdad getting a candy bar out in the hallway. I didn't realize that this would become an important part of my near death experience story, but it was veridical perception. It was something that later could be verified. And so researchers love these types of stories because anything you see in another location that you can verify is true becomes the over. um, There's so much information basically that consciousness survives uh, the physical and it just becomes part of that evidence. And so that was one moment that I had. It was it was particularly interesting, though, because later my mother did confirm that she and my dad were in the waiting room and my stepdad had left and he he made a joke when he came back in. But they were both on their knees praying certain that I had died. So I know that family members have a profound psychic connection mm. to their loved ones. And my parents actually felt the moment that I left my body and they were they were scared and, you know, they were on their knees praying. Mm. And then I had what many near-death experiencers experience, which is I flew out above the life or I flew out above the sky into the night sky and then kind of transitioned into what looked like the cosmos and had a life review. I felt God and I say God, but I felt an intelligence and a light starting to come toward me. And it was communicating with me somewhat telepathically just like the light from the eyes of the angels and we looked at my life not in a judgmental way and not every little bit of my life I didn't have to relive anything that caused me pain when people bullied me or or were mean to me it was simply just a a moment of reviewing life and looking at ways that I had been loving to the world and looking at ways that I could be better to the world Mm. and what I determined that I could do that was better is look into the hearts of people and not to judge them. Wanted to go back and really look at kind people who, who prayed for me, who cared about me and, and really connect with them because I was, I was young and silly and thought, Oh, well, you know, if someone doesn't have the same 
belief about a certain band or books or we don't have these things in common i don't need to connect with them young people can think like that they can be right right. styles you know silly stuff Mm. but but i looked into the heart of people and then i felt this growing awareness with everyone i had known and really when you die I think the wish and, and this stays with me. Like, even if I was to die today, I think my wish would be, Hey, everybody, I love you. Do well, enjoy this life. Uh, don't hold grudges, just hang on to every moment and make it great. And that was really just the message that I wanted to broadcast every soul that I'd passed in a coffee shop or anyone I'd even known briefly was just like, Hey, love yourself, love your life, do good, be good to others. I mean, that's our soul's wish. Mm. And even when we've been wronged by people, even when, you know, someone is our, you know, out to get us or whatever, I, I think the essential like soul wish is just, hey, be good, be loved, because that mm. is your essence and that is who you are. And so I was beginning to get that in that realm. And then I transitioned into this heavenly realm and I love this part of the near-death experience because I was so deeply at peace. I just uh, had a summit through the University of Heaven where I I talked with many different near-death experiencers. And Leslie Lupo was one who said when she had her near-death experience, it was like being unplugged from the fight or flight syndrome. Mm, So if you mm -hmm. can imagine, just no fear, no worry. I mean, meditation is great and can get us to those places, you know, for a time and can change our brains. But I mean, it's a full unplug. There's no fear. You're just at peace. And in that heavenly realm, I was just floating and the grass was so deeply green and the sky was so blue and there was no death. There was no sadness. It was just pure bliss. And my grandfather showed up and my grandfather had died when I was 10 and he looked very young and just vibrant. He too had no element of death. He had been in his seventies and had died of leukemia, but he looked like he was 30, maybe early forties and beautiful, just glowing. Mm -hmm. And he also brought this truck with him that had been in the near death experience, um, or had been in our, our, um, family. And it was part of my near death experience, I think, just so that I would recognize him again. Oh yeah. Everything is new and fresh. Uh, So I spent time with my grandfather in this heavenly realm. Then he turned to me and he said, would you like to continue on? I said, yes, and went toward that light of God. I have never felt anything that good. And I I don't think that you can feel anything that good on life in life. Most of us are kind of brokenhearted uh, because we miss God. I mean, I call for God's love in my life every day, but it was it there are no words you know for that Mm. type of love Mm. there is no love that compares to it we get glimpses of it here but it's like an atomic bomb of love exploding inside of you and you feel one with god you feel so happy so joyful so deeply loved every insecurity every pain in my life was just washed away in this love and so why would i want to come back here to suffer and feel pain and insecurity and and uh you know all of these things i I wanted to stay there i I did not care and people's prayers were trying to pull me back and i could feel their prayers but i just thought no 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 no. i want to keep going into this love of god can i ask a quick question to for some clarification because so many people have had um with religion you know i'll just leave it there to where the word god 
you know, is cringy <laughs> for them. Yeah. So define yeah. God, define that word as you use it for us based <clears throat> on your experience, please. Yeah. So I was agnostic and I have no other word to describe that love, but mm. I'm happy calling it unconditional love. I'm happy calling it the creative force or the divine force of the mm-hmm. universe, the, mm-hmm. the essence of who we are, but yes. I have just, it is an energy that is profoundly and deeply loving. And it's an energy that runs through everything. So yes. I, I heard messages in my near death experience that love is all that matters. And I clearly saw this play out in different ways. One of the ways is we don't take pain with us. We don't take mm-hmm. um, all of that. All we take is the good that we've done and the love that we are. And we are a part of that love. So I just think of God as love. And like, uh, yeah. So just this, um, th- this overriding force of love and energy that's, yeah, I, I just, I, I just wanted, because some of our listeners, you know, I just didn't want that word to be alienating, you know, because sometimes the put it into a church you know the word god is just there oh yeah and it's only there so yeah, yeah. i think it's really beautiful to hear your description of that as well and, okay and i i want to connect both those who are not religious and those who are because you know people fall into two camps they're either turned off um by that or they're turned off that you don't say it you know right right <laughs> and so like i want that happy medium where i can talk to agnostics i can talk to people in churches and we can really just dispel some judgment and go we can all agree as human beings that the idea love is all that matters is probably something that could help us all in our life we can all agree that going to nature can give us great energetic healing that even using nature to begin to heal uh, emotional wounds and physical wounds and and things like that. It's just common sense. And I think many near-death experiencers get these very simple messages because it's a universal truth that can run through all religions, through all lives, Mm. through all people, no matter where they are, and just kind of hit them at this core essence, this, this core of who they are. Yes, you can be love. You can be more loving to yourself. You can be more loving to the world. You can you can center love in Mm -hmm. your life and that can be your, your spiritual truth, Mm -hmm. whether you participate in a religion or not. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Back to your journey. Sorry to sidebar. It's a a good digression. It was an important one. (laughs) So there I am, you know, in this flow of love, never wanting to return because I had kind of a hard life. I had experienced child abuse and uh, just was a very lost young woman trying to find my way in this culture. And I th- thought it would be through materialism and, you know, making money because I'd grown up poor. And I got there to this place nearing God, uh, nearing that loving force. And there was a barrier and I couldn't go forward anymore. And again, telepathically, I was told to stop, look down. And I saw the earth and I saw this river And I saw all these many souls and I saw some of the souls were covered with fear, which was darkness. And some of them had their lights on and they were in the flow of that divine light and that divine love. And they were in their purpose. And I didn't see bad or good. I saw fear and love. And I thought everything that someone does in the uh, shade of fear, they just do without seeing their connection to the overall greater good and their connection to others and I was told to come back and remind others to connect themselves to that light Mm -hmm. and that goodness and to remove fear from their lives. Mm -hmm. And, 
and I knew I'd be a teacher. And so I actually argued with God that I knew that my skill set would work in the public school systems and colleges. And I thought, no, <laughs> uh, wait a second. I'm not going back to the USA and not making money. Like, <laughs> I've already had enough of that. That's horrible. <laughs> uh, and I'm a feminist, God. Like, I wanted to do something non-traditional for women. <laughs> not a teacher. <laughs> oh, too funny. God literally laughed at me and I felt like hurled or kicked or just like thrown back into my body. This dark wind covered me up and. And I'm a strong-willed person. I think I'm of that uh, generation X generation. So yeah, you couldn't you couldn't shut me up about this near-death experience. Even in the as soon as I was able to talk, I was talking about it. I I knew what had occurred. I'd heard of them. I'd never read any accounts, but I had heard of someone who'd had one, and I knew what I'd had. I was like, I died. Hey, I was over there. Like, <laughs> you guys, um, <laughs> we need to talk about this. Like, get the reporters in. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> no one was was uh, really quite on board the way I was with it. <laughs> but yeah, those first few moments, uh, I did get some confirmation from my surgeon, not a lot, but she said, we thought we lost you for a couple of moments. You'll yep. be fine after these blood transfusions. And then after that, no one really wanted to talk about it. And I talked about things in a weird way to people because I would say things like, to nurses, do you believe in God? Mm-hmm. And they would say, yeah, yeah, we believe in God. And I was like, well, God is an energy. God is this loving energy that just like <laughs> beams into you. <laughs> and, and I would say these things and people in the waiting room, family members and all that were, were making jokes. Wow. The medicine's really affecting her brain. And then I started to worry that would the medicine erase my afterlife memory and, and I wanted to hold on to it. And so even when I could barely lift a pen, I was in so much pain. I was already writing down snippets of this. I didn't realize that later this memory would never leave me, you know, 25 years later, it's still just as strong as, as any uh, good, in in fact, stronger than any memory. I don't know why, but nothing ever fades about it. That's beautiful. And, you know, you're reminding me maybe in the area of those nurses that those nurses were working and it wasn't so common, but I, um, I worked with cardiac patients for a while as a therapist, you know, doing the whole mind body thing, doing the mind bit. And I can't even tell you how many times in conversations, uh, because I'm sure it happens, you know, probably more in a cardiac setting than it does in a, like a (laughs) ortho setting or that type of thing, but how many people had experienced a near death experience and many of them had never talked about it. You know, they, they, um, you know, and there, there were some commonalities, but I'm so, oh, I just get excited listening to this. And, you know, you want, do do you wonder at all, like, how many people does this happen to, but it's like a dream, they don't remember it or, um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm. It was so profound for me personally that I can't imagine not remembering it, but Mm. then there are different types of illnesses. So Sometimes people hit their head and then they're learning. They come back to a brain that has to learn to talk and think again, but they know they're different. And then the pieces start coming back for them. And then there are people who've had these in childhood and sometimes really quite young and they don't have the language for it. I mean, as an adult, people helped me with the language. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2008, I was talking to researchers and they were 
helping me understand that I didn't have eyes when I was out of body. And Mm. that's how I could see 360 degrees. And you hear other experiences and you go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was experiencing too. And you gain language for something that's ineffable and, and hard to pin down because it's, it's like describing another planet. I mean, yeah. we just, yeah. we have to use metaphors. We have to use these things that uh, connect, but, but I'm particularly excited to talk on your podcast because I think one of the long lasting effects of the near death experience that, that has really stayed with me is talking with those who've lost someone or walking through those elements of grief. Yes. And what, yeah, what, what you experienced a, a big loss after this. Is that correct? Yeah, it was many years later. I, um, you know, the first loss was my grandmother and I realized, and this was just a few years after my NDE, I'd, I'd learned to walk again. I was going to go um, back to school and become a teacher. And I, I briefly saw her and she had a moment of lucidity and she had Alzheimer's and I I saw the light coming for her and I thought oh she's gonna die soon mm. and I just hugged her and and was very much in that moment but I saw death coming for her but I didn't see death as death I saw it as the light coming for for mm. her and I, I got kind of excited to see it in her eyes and I told my other grandmother and she's like don't tell me if you see the light in my eyes <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> I started to realize that I, I could sense this and a lot of near-death experiencers have greater heightened intuition and mm-hmm. psychic flashes and that kind of thing and in 2008 my father called me and said hey I'm in the ER I think I have food poisoning and I was driving to go see him and I asked because I did this sometimes I asked for guidance and immediately I saw a sign for a funeral home and I thought mm-hmm. oh no I have exactly a month. And I just, I knew that, oh my gosh. Uh, that I knew that in that moment as I was driving there and I took it very seriously before I even got to the hospital, I called everyone and canceled classes. And I said, I, you know, I'm going to be with my dad for a little while. And sure enough, he had a brain tumor and it was fast growing and he opted out of surgery. And what struck me is that I didn't just see the light coming with him. I participated in the whole dying process with him. Some people call it a shared death experience, but it was a joyful and beautiful experience. It was as if part of me was following him there. I started feeling his parents, uh, my grandparents, show up early and be there waiting for him a few days before his death. I Mm. knew they were with him. I could feel them. I could feel just this enormous amount of light and no fear. My dad died really well. He had no fear. I think he understood that I'd had this near-death experience. We talked about it a lot. I do believe it gave him peace, but he had his own understanding about it. It it was, um, do you know how near-death experiencers and people who've had a moment like this sometimes kind of look at the body as a costume? Mm, Yes, yes. I think my father was an eternal comedian and I'm not saying he's enlightened. He did a lot of things wrong, but I think he really got it that this was just a costume mm. and that he could, you know, possibly come back and get another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, then, and that was just that. And he was just leaving this one behind and he was just joyful and full of hilarity and accepted the whole process. And it was interesting to see. I don't know if he did it partly for me so that, 
I wouldn't feel greater sadness. What what did strike me as, as different and I didn't expect it to be because it was kind of a joyful, loving experience is when he was finally, you know, that last breath, when he took that last breath and he was dead, the next few days were traumatic for me. Mm. I mean, just hearing hearing his voice message on my phone, not wanting to shut off his phone so I could hear his voice, not being able to eat. And I, I'm glad I walked through that so that I could connect with other people and go, the spirit world gives us great joy and connection to something greater than ourselves. But it doesn't mean that you aren't going to suffer horribly mm-hmm. in the physical. And it is a horrible suffering. You know, grief is it brings you to your knees. It brought me to my knees and I, I went through all the stages like anyone else. And I thought, I thought maybe the near death experience would give me an out and I right. have to do that. Right. <laughs> but I did. I, I mean, I was in denial for a little mm. while. I would see men who looked like my dad and I'd start following them thinking it was my dad and you know, just, just a little brief moments. Mm-hmm. And I, I was angry. I was upset. I thought, you know, this isn't how it's supposed to work out. He was only in his sixties and why, and, mm. you know, this is all wrong. And, you know, just went through all the grieving stages mm-hmm. and, and the acceptance though was really his continued communication with me. And it's, it's something we keep in our heart and our mind. I think that most people have a mediumship ability, especially with their own loved ones and, a lot of times they push away the signs. You you said that you've received signs, so mm-hmm. I'm glad you're open to those, but some people brush them aside, but they are real. Right. So many people um, would look at a sign as just being a coincidence or isn't that, or not looking at it at all, you know, not having eyes wide open, but um, there's a beautiful book. Are you familiar with it called Hello from Heaven? Yes, love it. Yeah, so that kind of turned me on to, I had some really, uh, especially one really profound experience after my father died in 1983. It was like, gosh, the the second night after he died, it was the morning. The next morning, I won't go into that here. Actually, I've done a podcast about it. It's uh, the ghost story one. And, um, but you know, as you've talked about, the evidentiary stuff is so important, and and this was witnessed by three people: my mother, my brother, and I. And um, and after that, somebody had heard me talk about that and turned me on to that book, which is case studies. You know, and that's why I like when it's yeah. behind it, and you talking to the researchers. You know that, you know, it's one thing to hear one person's story and go, okay whatever, you know, but when, <laughs> when there's this mounting evidence and I'm, I'm curious about that, Tricia, did you seek out sharing your information with researchers or how did you connect with that community? Not initially. So I just did what God had commanded me to do, which is go into school districts and teach, but mm-hmm. I did something really subversive. I taught in a lot of low income areas and teachers have a lot of freedom there. I told my near-death experience story to every classroom I've ever stepped in. So, you know, every teacher, I remember it in high school. I'm sure you probably do too. There's always one day when a teacher's off topic. And I thought, my yep. day when I just want to riff off topic, I'm going to tell them about this. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it. And it would change the mood and the energy. 
of every single classroom. The most hyperactive students would be stunned with their mouths open and asking questions. We'd talk about ghosts, we'd talk about their beliefs, and it would just open up this beautiful realm. So that was what I did uh, for a long time. But then when I moved to because you were ordered to do that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, you had yeah. to do that. <laughs> right. And I would teach the basic messages of love is all that matters. And I'd remind students to go to nature. We'd go outside and read in nature. I'd, I even taught meditation long before it was in vogue and even got in trouble about that. Mm. <laughs> and uh, now it's just totally in vogue. And, you know, lots of schools teach mindfulness, but right, it was... Right. It was something that helped students with emotional difficulties. They could finally concentrate after meditating. And, mm. and I saw how profoundly beautiful that was. But, but no, I hooked up with a researcher just because I wanted to connect with a group of, of people who had had near-death experiences. And I finally did that in, I think, 2008. And this researcher happened to write books. She led a group at IANS, um, Dr. Jan Holden. And she connected me with the bio channel. And so I told my story to a national audience and people loved that I survived beyond a back series. There were I think three different near death experiencers on every show. People started recognizing me around town. <laughs> I was like, okay, I didn't know mm. that there was, there was interest like this. And then later national geographic, she hooked me up with national geographic and, and I thought, you know, if I'm ever going to write a book, I should write about this story because this is the one I'm asked to speak about so often. So the day that National Geographic magazine came out, I, I started my blog and started talking about this openly and started making YouTube videos and interviewing other experiencers. And 10,000 people looked for Trisha Barker near-death experience after that magazine came out. And I thought, what? Wow. That's, that's a lot of people. And and I think they did mainly because it was a little quip, you know, how uh, National Geographic didn't go into great depth. They, were, mm -hmm. they said, you know, Trisha Barker had a verifiable detail uh, and saw her father get a candy bar from the vending machine. And later she believes that spirits work through her in the classroom. And I thought, oh, that sounds horrible. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, I better tell the story so that others know that I'm real and not kooky. You know? mm. And it's not spirits, it's angels. Mm. You know, there's, a, there's an energy. And that's what I tell people too, when they're learning mediumship or they're connecting if you feel love out of nowhere mm. and you just feel that lightness a lot of times that is someone that loves you and they're near and they're sending you that energy and mm -hmm. the same thing with angelic presences if you feel this uh added inspiration and many people get into the zone many people get into these spaces at different times who are creative who says that, you know, the angels aren't working through them in a divinely inspired moment? I think that they are. I saw the angels work through my surgeon. She didn't believe in that kind of thing. She was just dedicated to her craft, wanted to be a great surgeon. And isn't it amazing that the other side works through her? So I was just happened to be aware of it. And I was aware that sometimes I would, I would pray before class and I'd say, hey, angels if you want to reach a particular student by all means do it and then the weirdest things would happen at the college level especially you lecture a lot my consciousness would be moved aside I would you know have a lecture about a certain short story and maybe 
maybe a theme in that story and I'd talk about something I wouldn't know what I was talking about I'd look up and someone's crying they're hugging me after class I, oh what you said meant so much to me I'm gonna join the Peace Corps I'm like what are you talking about I don't know what I said <laughs> oh wow <laughs> and so there were lots of moments where I know that I was guided to say things and then yeah. there were other times when I know I was just guided to be there because I've been through so much so I could understand child abuse I could understand feeling suicidal I could understand depression I could you know understand breakups and Mm. that kind of empathy is what a lot of students need they Mm -hmm. just need to be seen for a moment absolutely so um how you walk in the world now like what's how did this, this spirit and divine connection come through to you just on an average day? You know, this is, this is what I tell all people to do. And even near death experiencers, meditation in nature is so important. A Mm. meditation practice or a prayer practice Mm -hmm. really puts you in the flow of that. A journaling practice puts you in the flow of that um, other side, but I can get stressed out and, deal with life in negative ways like anyone else and I'll, I'll notice it and I, I'll think oh <laughs> I need to get back to you know that that practice but for me meditation is really an intense experience where I can go to healing uh, places where I'll, I'll feel that you know guides are working on a part of me or I'll, I'll call on angels and and um, feel them working on the energy of a of say an airport where I'm at and there's a lot of, you know, frustration or I'll, I'll call on um, just guidance in in certain moments. But, but I think that I do spend a lot of my time. uh, There's a balance, you know, you keep one foot on this earth and Mm. one foot out there. And it's a really good question that you asked, but I think, my answer is I try to stay grounded and I try to stay real, but I won't ever shy away from talking about this other side mm-hmm. because that's, that's what I'm here for. I mean, I'm here to remind people that angels exist. I'm here to remind people that you are connected to a love greater than you and you are eternal and you're going to know this someday. And it's a beautiful feeling. And, and to those who've lost someone on the other side, the, the last thing that my father kind of shot me telepathically when he was like his last day on earth, he couldn't speak, but he looked at me and I swear that he sent the words, I'll see you soon enough. <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, not that soon. <laughs> you know, like I'm, at that time I was in my thirties. Yeah. I was like, no, <laughs> but then, but then I, I got what he meant that it's just eternal over there. Yeah. And that's how I felt on the other side. When I was in that near death experience, I thought, Oh, I can stay over here. Cause like in a blink of an eye, everyone I know will be over here. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's what time felt like. Yeah. So what I'm hearing from you is as the spiritual entity that was crossing over, you weren't experiencing great grief in that realm for leaving people or leaving or dying, you know, quote, you know, just dying at that point in time. No. And I have to remind people who I was. I was a a broken, disconnected, depressed college student who didn't have a great love, who didn't have siblings. And I was, you know, I'm an only child and mm. I had kind of a difficult relationship with my mother. Uh, so I didn't have a lot of connections. So just to be in that place of great love for me was great. 
How even, however, I've interviewed and talked with other near-death experiencers and many who have great families and great loves still feel that that love is so powerful and they'll be okay and they'll see the, their loved ones again and it's not a huge deal. There are others who have very young kids who fought for their lives on the other side and want to be a part of their journey. So I think there are people who are more connected to their lives and mm-hmm. have fought to come back. Mm-hmm. So back to, uh, you know, I kind of uh, veered us off a little bit when you were talking about your ongoing communication with your father. I think as you were insinuating, you know, our reader, our listeners, you know, can benefit from hearing that possibility even exists. Can you share more about that? Yeah. And this is a story that's not in the book, but I just know that connection to be real. I don't even doubt it anymore. I know Mm. that there was a time when I thought, oh, this is cute. But I've had so many verifiable moments where my grandfather on the other side has led me to a place I didn't know where to go and told me what to do in that moment. And I've just followed his directions and things have turned out fine. So I just trust that it is that they are there for me. Mm -hmm. So And I have also, since this is my father and I'm a rebellious daughter, um, he told me to break up with someone I was dating once. And I said, no, dad, that's ridiculous. I like this guy. You're wrong. And he said, break up with him. You know, this is not right. This is not good. And if I would have followed him in that moment, I would have been much happier. But I went through, you know, a horrific little moment and, you know, four months of just great sadness over the ending of that relationship. And And had I done it at the moment he had said, uh, maybe I would have just felt better. And I thought, oh, dear God, I actually have to listen to him now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I have to actually do what he says because he's trying to help in in certain moments. And uh, I like it better, I think, when they just provide support and healing. So the day before the book came out, I was nervous because I put a lot of my life out there and I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. putting myself out there as a guru. I'm very human and very uh, raw in this book and vulnerable. And so that's, you know, it's taking a chance to put this book out there in that way. Yeah. And, and my grandparents and father said, let's go to lunch together. And so here I am and in, in my in my realm, I'm sitting with my grandparents and father at Luby's of all places, this little place they used to like to go. And I just feel their love and communication, just lifting me up and showering me with their love. And it is the most blessed lunch I've had in a long time, like more blessed than anything I can describe because I miss them and they love me so much. And to soak up that love and to experience it energetically in a real way is such a gift. And I wish more people could feel that and could communicate with their loved ones because you can get help in situations, you can get healing, you can get great love, and you can just get that compassion that sometimes, honestly, we just don't find from people around us. But it doesn't mean that we're not loved. We are loved. So if I took a snapshot at you at that restaurant, you're sitting at the table alone. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. Okay. I just want to clarify that. <laughs> yeah. I'm completely alone, but I feel like three people are with me. I love and it. I, and it. And in my mind, they're, you know, it, it would be great if you could illuminate the spirit world in some way in a movie mm. and just, you know, like, and they're just sitting there. But uh, the 
the advice that they gave was was right on it was spot on and they keep their personalities to some degree but they certainly have a wisdom from that other side that is is quite beautiful and quite lovely and and what's interesting is I don't know if it's because my grandfather and grandmother had been in that realm longer or it's just who my dad is his essential spirit but they are more uh, wise and you know mm-hmm. they're my guides mm-hmm. in this wise way I almost feel like grandparents sometimes sign up to be the guides mm. you know because they they just love the little child and they don't get that much time with them and they want to see the life play out and I thought that was kind of a a sweet role because mm. I felt them both in in my life and my dad's still kind of a character and you know, <laughs> their kid <laughs> so does it come through like telepathic communication is that how? It does. Yeah. Okay. Energy and telepathic communication. And then I'm sure if you looked at me sitting in the booth, I'd close my eyes or stare off into the distance mm. and, you know, just kind of feel mm. uh, what is coming through in that moment. But it's, yeah, different mediums see things in different ways. Like when I'm giving readings, sometimes I will see a picture and it's almost impressed into my brain. Like I'll feel the soul go, ah, here's this picture. Mm and describe it and I won't know why and then maybe it's the picture that they used at that person's funeral Mm -hmm. and so it's significant to them in some way or or there's always a different way of communicating sometimes it's images sometimes it's actual words I I tend to vacillate between that telepathic communication and images Mm. well I'm just gonna um, put you on the spot a little bit and if this isn't comfortable you just tell me but we have so many listeners that I know are experiencing very acute loss of a soulmate you know be it a partner or parent or child or or sibling you know or, or just friend but you know those real soul connections and ache just are, are in that aching stage is there any uh practice that you could recommend for people you know on a daily basis or to to center with that energy um that might help them free a channel for that connection yeah so i would recommend that people read about lucid dreaming and and meditate before bed, turn off electronics. If you can start doing that, because people who are not open and they don't have that, those type of skills and they don't believe that they have those type of skills, the oftentimes that communication comes in the form of dreams Mm -hmm. and it's a dream that has a different quality to it. Their loved one might visit them in a dream. So you can ask for that and then then you kind of have to have patience because it might be two months, it might be two years, it might be five years. And mm. I know people get frustrated because they think, oh, you know, I was so close to this person. Why are they not showing up? But that type of energy just pushes it away. I think belief and asking and creating kind of a sacred moment before bedtime is a great way to invite that and then to not discredit a dream so I've known people who just get a hug from Mm -hmm. someone that they've lost in the dream and the hug feels so real and good and they Mm -hmm. think I've had that that was a beautiful dream 
and it's it's real it's it's a contact (laughs) yeah and my my experience you know I would say I mean like there was I knew you know it's just like that I woke up saying that was real that was real Yeah. yeah but I guess yeah depending on what your framework is and and how much you doubt but it's you know it's I'm I'm you know on a scale of one to ten I'm a right there believer but our human nature is to doubt and to second guess and you know I think you sound like you've broken through that threshold talk about you being a runner I see that as the the ticket tape you know at the end you've broken through (laughs) that that tape of doubt you know now that you trust all of these signs but you know I wish I could say that you know there's still some times that I'm like really you know am I just imagining that or well, here's the thing. I was trying to explain this to someone. I, okay, so in our world, we give much more credence to science and rational thought and, and all these ways of being. And of course, you know, different professions make more money because of that. And, and I was trying to explain uh, a way that myth that, well, if you're really intuitive and you're really psychic, you just win the lottery. I mean, in, initially, I felt that way, too. Mm. I thought, this is stupid. Why do I know this random thing? thing you know why is that going to help me you know like this is ridiculous take it away and then it hit me that it's like anything else so say you have a really strong brain but you've studied nothing so you don't house anything in your rational mind you might be a rational person but you don't have that information intuition is the same way you may not have trained with it you may not have given it credence you may not have uh experimented with it you may uh may dismiss a lot of it and the world dismisses it too but you know what you know Mm -hmm. and maybe you you just know a few things and that that's still a good thing that you know that that little thing (laughs) you know it it might help you in some way or it might give you power to realize okay i i know this much and maybe we just don't know what is possible maybe someone will start you know bucking the system and you know uh, i've heard of psychics being thrown out of vegas (laughs) (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah interesting so here's something i do you, you know and i don't know how you feel about it but i just also just speak out loud to my loved ones and you know especially like if i'm in a car alone driving or on my walks out in nature um I just feel a real connection when I do that and it's almost like well I'm putting that out there you know just because I'm putting it out there I don't have to analyze you know why and are they hearing me but in my heart it feels like there's a connection that's beautiful now I think I'm going to start doing that too Mm. (laughs) I think I stay in my head so much but but I love it that you say it out loud mm. and, and really connects with them in that way. That's beautiful. Mm. No, it is. It is lovely. And yeah, I just would hope that, um, you know, we, we, we pre-chatted a bit and I was saying, you know, that whole, it's important for us to hear that even for you going through everything you've been through, that you experienced the rawness of grief. And um, it's, it's almost like, you know, no experience in life, no belief system is going to give us a free pass if we've deeply loved someone. Um, oh, yeah. 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 And yeah, that's that's the great fear of loving, isn't yeah. it? I, I'm I'm in a new relationship and 
I think part of the reason we run sometimes is, oh God, if I love this person, I'm going to at the very least lose them to death. I mean, if it really works out, like there's always loss. Mm. And that's the, the sadness of this realm is that there is decay and there is death and there is loss, but the flip side is, Hey, at least there is the other realm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At least this is, this is just the part that dies and there's the part that is eternal. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I was saying, I'm just now starting to feel a little bit of that um, pleasure for my, for my soulmates who have passed of and 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 reading your book and hearing these experiences i think is so giving and it's so helpful for me i just only speak for myself to let go of of my, my tethering them down with my deep deep grief and it's a developmental process you know there's no no there's no way that one day i could just be like oh well that that's that's okay then I'll just cut those tethers and let them fly free but you know because (laughs) of the time that's gone by you know and because of these are all you know I've immersed myself in reading about NDEs before etc but it's just I can just feel it it's just starting to lighten me up in that way of um, Hmm. you know wanting them to fly freer wanting wanting to be able to release some of that, but we all know the waves come and go and, you know, I can't predict that that will stay, but I kind of hope so because feeling a bit lighter is a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I tell people that first year I was like anyone else experiencing grief. I mean, that first year of losing someone's horrible. I mean, it's just a wash and then you have to, the, the anniversary of the, the death and then it's, I mean, you're walking through years. You're not walking through a small amount of time with grief. And that's why support groups are so important. And that's why I really do love organizations like IANS and helping parents heal. And, and because you do get connected up to the energy of other people who, who have been to the other side or had a shared death experience. And you're reminded of that eternal part of it and we need more reminders of that I mean that's what's going to help us through we do and your book is gifting that to us and I'm so grateful for that can you can you share with us before we start wrapping up about what this experience has meant for you in terms of your future more permanent death that you will experience (laughs) (laughs) I love that question so uh, just this week of all things I had an abnormal EKG and I I'm like a health nut and you know heart disease doesn't run in my family and I'm sure it's just a mistake but my heart has been hurting I've uh, been under some stress and I thought my first reaction was oh the light oh cool I can see God <laughs> <laughs> like, like literally <laughs> you know that that part of me that knows God and knows that experience I just kind of get excited about getting reconnected to that light again and then I think of of, of course, my life here and the people I'm connected to and all the loose ends and, you know, all of that, that stuff. And I don't think I'm actually checking out this, you know, soon, but, right. but it was just a little scare and I've had little health scares here and there. And, and when they're quick, uh, when it's a quick death, I'm, I just accept it. It's the weirdest thing. I don't, uh, I don't look forward to any kind of long drawn out illness or pain as, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't think anyone could possibly look forward to that, but but I do, 
understand that this is just part of the journey and Mm -hmm. I'm okay with dying. I'm, I'm okay. So when, when I do go, if someone hears this podcast in the future, know that, Hey, I'll just be out there trying to communicate with you and and give you some messages. (laughs) And I have to say, while you were saying that, Trisha, my, my heart was just saying, gosh, if I was her loved one and she had passed and I heard those words about how you're looking forward to that. What a comfort that would be to me, you know? Mm. Yeah. So to me, it's back to, you know, having the conversations, isn't it? Having the dialogue and sharing that with your family and sharing that with your loved ones. Mm. Yeah. And, and then you're the people we're connected to that aren't even our family members and we might not ever no, I mean, that in that spirit world, I know that I'll be connected to people. And this is just, you know, a knowing that mm-hmm. I don't know right now. And I may never meet and I'll just, you know, there will be a way to help guide or help give people messages on the other side. And I just know that as a reality. And it's kind of a funny reality. But it's, it's just a reality that I, I count on. Mm. Beautiful. I I wanted to pick your brain just a little bit. We are here in New Zealand and right now um, the end of life choice bill is flying around in parliament and there's a lot of debate about it. And we had a second vote yesterday. So this will be pre-recorded. So um, don't mean to confuse people in that way, but, but um, I'm just curious if you have based on your experiences, you know, uh, any insight, any strong feelings towards the idea. And I think there's some confusion about end of life versus euthanasia. Euthanasia, and you know, coming from a bit of a medical background, it always makes me think there was a long debate in the States years ago about the daughter of a couple who had his life, her life had been prolonged maybe like 20, 25 years, um, relatively brain dead but still breathing. And, um, you know, that, that is what I would have considered euthanasia when a person cannot choose people are choosing for her. Um, and there was debate and I don't think, I don't know if that ever happened, but it was a long extended debate where this bill is actually about end of life choice. You know, it's six months prognosis of, um, you know, that the doctor doesn't think you're going to live longer than six months or, um, an extenuating, suffering death and it has to be our illness such as you know in later stages uh, ALS or motor neuron disease or something such as that I'll just throw that out there and requires a couple doctors having to review and and make sure that the person's on board they're not being coerced etc 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 and it's actually self-administered as well so just to give you an idea of what what that act might look like any thoughts about that in terms of uh, what God would want? <laughs> yeah, Can you I plug don't in mind real- in. Just channel that one. I don't us. mind. <laughs> I don't mind weighing in on this at all. God is such a compassionate, loving force, and and I always tell people that the energy behind what you're doing is the most important thing. So if you are doing this for great love for yourself, great love for your family members, uh, that, you know, everyone is on board and you're all synced in with love. And that's the choice you make from a loving place. I don't think God has a problem with that choice. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I can't imagine God 
being punishing to anyone for anything along those lines that, that, um, you know, that the only thing that I saw in my life review that we should try not to do is judge others and harm others. And, you know, and people want to debate that, that suicide thing and, and say that's like suicide, but it isn't in my mind. I mean, it's just like hospice care deals with pain differently. And there are just choices that we can make in that moment for ourselves and for others. And if you're fine with that moment, then that's, that's that person's choice. Like, I, I don't know why we, we want to dictate life for other people you know, like mm. in, in all these these different ways why not give more choices for how people want to die and mm-hmm. and how they want to be buried and how they want to live i mean that that seems like freedom is is important yes yes well thank you for that i try to you know on our facebook page etc i just try to throw out information i don't try to be um you know just just a kind of clearinghouse not an opinion but but um i do think it helps to hear other people's views, especially after having an experience like this. So, yeah, just mainly judgment is not what I felt on the other mm-hmm. side, as hard as that is. And, you know, that can get into a big philosophical discussion, right. <laughs> but, but, uh, but that was mainly what I felt was love and a lack of judgment. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Tricia, I have just, I could talk to you all day. I'm really, really (laughs) happy that you joined us. I wonder, me too. Can you share with people where they can find you and where they can find your book? Yep. Yeah. So uh, my book, Angels in the OR, is available uh, in Audible if you're in North America. It's ebook. It's, uh, you know, of course, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, many different outlets. You can certainly just Google that and find it, Angels in the OR. My name, Trisha, T-R-I-C-I-A, Barker, B-A-R-K-E-R-N-D-E dot com is my website. And I'm on social media and I have a YouTube channel and there's lots of ways to stay in touch. I like interviewing people, too. And I got into interviewing other near-death experiencers because I thought there's no one out there who is an experiencer who can interview them. And so we just, you know, play and laugh and talk about the light. Beautiful. (laughs) Well, I'd love to have you come over to New Zealand sometime and share your work and um, plug that book. So very, it's a very beautiful, open, and energetically centering place. Um, so that would be lovely. Thank you again for being with yeah. us and I will definitely be praying that that's in my future because I would love to go there lovely so. <laughs> lovely well let's stay in touch and All right. you take good care Trisha you too thank you so much okay, thank bye. you bye-bye we hope you've enjoyed your time with us today we'd love for you to get further connected with our project you can find the links in the podcast information You can also find the Death Dialogues Project on Facebook, on Instagram, and at www.deathdialogues.net. Take good care and see you next time.